0: Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. As we continue our Holy Habits series, we look at how Christ prepares the Supper for the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We compare this to how Christ works in our lives to prepare us to take the same Supper. You're listening to Holy Habits, The Lord's Supper, by Rev. Christy Mannion. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. That's page 1644 in your pew Bibles. And we're in a series called Holy Habits where we're considering elements of our worship services. You've already heard that we'll be thinking about the aspect of the Lord's Supper in our worship this morning. Listen to these words from Luke. They stood still with their faces downcast. One of them, named Clopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know what things have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, this is the third day since this has all taken place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find the body. They they came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb too. They found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it. And began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those together with them assembled and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then these two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. When our children were very young, we would sometimes play hide-and-seek in our house. And I remember one time when one of the boys climbed into the clothes dryer and was hiding under the clothes, with the door mostly shut. It took me a little while to find him, and when I finally did, inwardly I was delighted. What a super hiding spot. But externally, had to be a responsible and stern parent and say, you know, next time maybe don't pick the dryer with the door mostly shut. Somebody might get stuck in there. I remember another time when we played hide-and-seek and the rising panic that I felt as the kids stayed quiet and hidden for just a little bit too long. It probably wasn't more than five minutes, but I could not figure out where they were hiding, and I was calling for them. Come out, mom's getting nervous. Where are you? Don't you know it's not funny? to prolong someone's anxiety? I start with that picture of prolonged anxiety and hiding because hiddenness, concealment, are aspects of the way Jesus interacts with the disciples on this road to Emmaus. I wonder what Jesus is up to in it. We come to the story of the disciples on the Emmaus Road with the benefit of hindsight and Luke's third-person perspective. We know that it's resurrection day. The people on the road don't know that. We know it's Jesus who's on the road with them. The grieving people on the road don't know that. These disciples have just lived through one of the most bewildering and disorienting weeks of their lives, and so grieved and beat up, they trudge for home with lead feet, seeking understanding and comfort, seeking a way to start fitting the pieces of what doesn't make sense back together. Luke tells us that one of the disciples is named Clopas, and we don't know for sure who the other disciple might be. It could be that it's a friend who's a man on the road with Clopas, but it's also possible that the disciple is female. In John chapter 19, there's a group of people around the cross of Jesus. Mary Magdalene is there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. One of Jesus' aunts is there. And a person named Mary, the wife of Clopas, is there, too. So it's possible that the Clopas mentioned in John is the Clopas mentioned in Luke, and that this disciple pair on the road is a husband and wife. I can't believe he's gone, Clopas says as they walk along. From everything he did and said, I thought that he was the one we've been waiting for. I really believed he would deliver us from the Romans. Didn't it all see that he might die on one of their crosses? I just hated watching him try to breathe. Mary says. He's right there. It was awful. He's always been the most full of life person I've ever known and watching him gasp Yes, Clopas says, there's so much that I don't understand. Remember how Jesus raised that dead man in Nain? Remember the time that he calmed the storm? Who can do things like that? You'd sure think that Jesus could have stopped this whole train wreck if he'd wanted to. And Clopas, what do you make of the missing body? What do you think about the women, have, what, about what the women have said? The women, Clopas says, I don't doubt that they think that they saw angels. I know what they said that they heard. But I don't know, grief does funny things. Hello there, a voice calls. Do you mind if I'd walk with you a while? And so the two turn around, but they don't recognize this traveler. Hello. Welcome. Please walk with us. Been trying to catch you, the traveler says. You sure are focused on your conversation. What are you talking about? Clopas scowls. Are you just visiting Jerusalem? Haven't you heard the news about Jesus of Nazareth? It's everywhere. He was a prophet, a powerful one. And we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. But a couple of days ago, he was sentenced to death and hung on a cross. And Without missing a beat, the stranger says, You're not very bright, are you? How senseless and slow you are to believe all the prophets have taught. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ would suffer and then enter his glory? And right there on the road, this unknown traveler starts to explain things to him, not just from a verse or two of their holy scriptures, from the whole scope, from Moses to the prophets, who this person would be, how he would be glorified. I said at the beginning that hiddenness and concealment are aspects of this story that trouble me the most. Why, oh, why, are the disciples kept from recognizing Jesus, as Luke says? And why, oh, why, when Jesus comes upon these two perplexed and grieving disciples, doesn't he identify himself right away? Why doesn't he just say, friends, it's me, I died? But I'm alive again. Shining the light of his resurrection into the darkness of their grief certainly seems like the surest route from point A of despair to point B of hope. But he doesn't do that for them, at least not right in that moment. So why does Jesus hide? He's not a hiding little boy with some kind of strange enjoyment of the suffering and anxiety of the people that he loves. Surely he's not being tricky or cruel. Surely he has good reason for behaving the way that he does. So what could it be? Zooming out from this story in Luke can help us answer that question. Because all throughout Luke, the disciples struggled to understand his mission. No fewer than three times in Luke, Jesus tells them, He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. They cannot understand it. Luke says that something important was concealed from them or hidden from them. At his triumphal entry, Jesus even laments over Jerusalem, saying, If you... Only you had known on this day what would bring you peace. But right now it's hidden from your eyes. For the 12 disciples, it seems to have been inconceivable that God's Messiah would suffer and die. They just could not see it. And it seems equally unbelievable to these two walking along down the road that Jesus could have risen again. Sometimes our human eyes and our human hearts can see only what we expect to see. We're unprepared to process evidence that's contrary to what we expect. So if the disciples didn't believe Jesus' words before He went to the cross, when He was telling them about it plainly, how likely was it that they would be able to believe Him afterward? For Jesus to assure them that it was really him, that he had really risen, that the work he was up to hadn't ended at the cross, but was a launching point, some intricate work was going to be called for. So patiently, Jesus hides in plain sight, he adapts his message and his method to this skeptical audience, gets them ready to receive it. Far from taking some sort of perverse enjoyment in their suffering, wondering what they are saying about him after his death, he comes alongside these two on the Emmaus Road, falls into step with them, asks what they're talking about, and works from where they are to show him, show them himself. You know Moses and the prophets, he says to them. Let's start there and build from there. Let me show you how all of your scriptures speak of a coming Messiah. As they walk and talk and listen, the disciples feel a curious warmth spreading through their chests. Part conviction and shame Have we been reading the scriptures wrong all this time, understanding it wrong? Part wonder and hope, could it be that God is up to something that we haven't considered before? And part curiosity about who he is, who is this man, how can he speak with such assurance, They reach the village, and the traveler doesn't want to impose, so he seems as though he's going further. But after a quick consultation with Mary, Clopas catches him, and he says, it's getting dark. We don't want to see you out on the road after dark. Why don't you come on in and stay with us? So they go in, and Clopas lights a lamp. Mary gets to work in the kitchen. The bread will be unleavened tonight because everyone is hungry. They settle in around the table, and their guest does the honors, taking the bread, blessing the giver, breaking it, giving it to them to eat. And in that sequence of events, all of the times that the disciples have been with Jesus in the intimacy of a meal, whether a meal in a home like this one, a meal on a hillside where he has fed multitudes— They realize his pattern has always been the same. Takes the bread, blesses the giver, breaks it, and gives it them to to them to eat. The fog clears. Their eyes and their hearts are opened. They can see it is him. Just as quickly as they can see him, he vanishes. And that's strange. You think he'd want to stay around a while and continue to unpack that he's really there, but no, he leaves. And someone between the first service and now said to me, "Yes, he leaves so that the Holy Spirit can continue to work in them. He doesn't need to be immediately present. The awareness that he's with them, that he has risen, is coming." So the two of them then get up from the table. Prepare to hoof it back to Jerusalem, because news this good has to be shared. As I was thinking about God's hiddenness this week, I was thinking about us, the times when it seems like God is hiding from us. If you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, the odds are good you've had some stretch of your life where you knew he was there, you believed he was present, but you couldn't see him. You couldn't feel him. You wondered what he was up to. There's a couple journeying journeying through infertility who become joyfully pregnant and go in for an ultrasound only to hear the doctor say, I'm so sorry your baby has stopped growing. Or the 19-year-old who couldn't wait to go to college who abruptly calls home and says she's dropping out. She won't really talk about why, but her parents know something has happened. She's not saying what it is. Or the social worker, teacher, healthcare provider who persisted with grace under the challenges of a global pandemic, only to find that the new normal is understaffed and they're tired. The hiddenness of Jesus on the Emmaus Road is strangely assuring when we find ourselves reaching for a God that we don't see all the time. Sometimes, in order to allow for the genuine development of our trust, the free exercise of our faith, sometimes God allows us to go through times, places, environments where evidence of His presence is thin. He will not force us to believe. But for those two disciples, as for us, just because we can't see him doesn't mean he's not there. The disciples don't see him at the grave. They don't find him walking along the road. But they finally meet him at the table. So maybe today you can't see him. Maybe today you can't hear him. But as you trust in the faithfulness of the God who saved you, to also be the God who upholds you when you can't see Him, He will feed your faith at this table. As certainly as you taste the grape juice on your tongue, as surely as you swallow that piece of bread, He has not left you alone. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the congregation of Jesus Christ believes that its Lord wills to be present when it prays for his presence. So it prays, come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Thereby it confesses the gracious omnipresence of Jesus Christ. Each mealtime, then, can fill Christians with gratitude for the living, present Lord and God. In the good gifts of this physical life, Christians acknowledge their Lord as the true giver of all good gifts, and beyond this, they ask for the true gift, the true bread of life itself, to call them into the banquet of the kingdom of God. So meeting Jesus today at his table doesn't undo everything mixed up, everything unjust, everything sad— But meeting Him here sustains us in the meantime. It assures us that Jesus is really with us, even when we can't see Him. It points us ahead to a day when we will gather around the Lord's table, and everything will be well and healed and whole. Let's pray together. Lord of life, when our prayers feel thin and our hope is dim, we come to the table of your grace. In this ordinary bread and ordinary juice, take them, bless them, break them, give them to us. Assure us that in you the redemption of all things has come, is coming, and will come. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you for listening to Le Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.